Welcome to Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale, sponsored by Capital Healthcare Network, an Ohio-based, family-owned and operated company providing solutions that help seniors age on their own terms. Those solutions include home care, senior living, nursing home and rehab care, and hospice. Learn more at CapitalHealthCareNetwork.com. Listeners, thank you for joining us today and listening to our podcast, Aging in Full Bloom. I have an author on the line with me. Her name is Elizabeth Marcus. And were you calling from Boston today? Yes, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. You are in Boston, and you wrote a book. Has this published yet, or this is publishing in May? In May. In May, May okay. Well, how honored am I? I must have got one of the hot off the press copies. It's called Don't <laughs> Say a Word, A Daughter's Two Cents. Now, I haven't read the whole book, but I've read about three fourths of it. Can I just tell you that I'm in love with you and your parents? <laughs> Is that awkward? Is that awkward? <laughs> um, no, that's a wonderful reaction. That's a great reaction. Yes, I laughed so many times. Um, laughed out loud, and and I always know I'm gonna I'm it's gonna be a good book when I'm on the introduction. I'm already laughing. So you wrote this book about your experience with your parents, and we are going to talk about a particular component of that. We're going to talk about what did you call it? The dirty old man syndrome. That'll be the yeah. title of our podcast: the dirty old man <laughs> syndrome. And. Okay. We're laughing, but it's kind of serious, right? Really, it has to do with inappropriate sexual behavior um, that coincides with dementia and how that all pans out for us. And, of course, you learned by fire um, because it happened to you and your dad. But before we get there, before we go to that part, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Well, I'm an architect, and uh, I gave it up uh, a while ago to just concentrate on writing. I have just a tremendous curiosity about everything, and it, it allows me to pursue that. So I write about all kinds of things. This book is the first book I've written, okay. and I was moved to write it because it's an amazing story. It's, it is. It just fell in my lap, and I couldn't see not writing it. It it sounds like fiction, but it's all absolutely true. My parents just changed in such a crazy, funny, dramatic way, and it, it was a mystery to me. So the book is really my efforts to solve the mystery. What was going on? Why was this happening? And what did it tell me about my parents who... As it turned out, I had never really understood. You understood them only as a child understands their parents, right? And you- well, you you put, pull together a narrative. You do the best you can. Mm-hmm. But as children, you have no understanding of what motivates behavior. Uh-huh. So you, you generally get it wrong. <laughs> and my parents were very invested in appearing a certain way. So they just seemed so self-confident, so accomplished, so in control. Yes, And I took this as the truth because I was a kid. Yeah. And 
I've got a passage to read here, a few sentences. It says, I scarcely believed in their aging, even though they were getting older in front of you. It didn't occur to you until a certain time. I made nothing of their falling behind the times, and by then they could barely operate a TV remote. My sense of my parents as unyielding and all-knowing felt more real than all evidence to the contrary. That's how a lot of us feel about our parents. Our parents are larger than life, and they are somewhat one-dimensional to us until things happen and we get different insights and different perspectives. Tell me about your parents. I I think that's true, Mm -hmm. but often what doesn't fit the narrative that we've created about them, we sort of put aside. Yeah. I describe it as sort of putting it in the squirrel hole. It's there, but it doesn't fit. And then later in life, you can go back and think about all the times that were different from what the way you saw them, Yeah, what was revealed about them that you didn't understand at the time and you just put aside. Yeah. Um, my parents, my father was a dentist. My mother was a dress buyer at Macy's. And when I was growing up, it was unusual for a mother to have that kind of job. She worked longer hours even than my father, and she just loved working. I mean, she was really happy. She, uh, To me, she was kind of glamorous, you know, dressing up in her suits and yeah. going off to work. And so we lived with uh, a nanny who took care of me full time and lived in. And we also had a cook. In those days, it was affordable, if you can believe it, to have two live-in people Mm -hmm. helping. And um, But it was before washing machines and, you know, all the other things that makes it possible for us to do it all ourselves now. So it was this household, and my parents were, for me, somewhat removed. You know, they were glamorous, and I wasn't you know, intimidated by them and sort of infatuated with them. But it wasn't like your regular TV family scene. You know, father yeah. comes home and yeah, well, mom's at the door in an apron. It wasn't <laughs> that. <laughs> no, mom was a bit of a trailblazer, wasn't she? Well, I, I think she was in those days uh, to be an, an executive in that field was mm-hmm. unusual and... She was just very, very bright and, you know, hard-driving and demanding and um, really quite a frightening character. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I rarely went. I I had to go to Macy's every Thursday to meet her and um, because it was the cook's night out, and then we would go out to dinner with my dad, and there would always be somebody crying in the stock room, you know. I wasn't the only one who, you know, got in the in the in the way of her, of her. Um, I don't know what you would call it, criticalness or critical. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. Um, you you say in the book that um, she spent a lot of time improving you, as you say. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of how you know she wasn't a hands-on mom. 
I mean, she never, she fed me once, one time she had to feed me when I was an, an infant because the, the nanny uh, had to leave because her brother, her brother died and my mother had to feed me. And I was that age where, you know, where you put the food in and then you push it out with your tongue. Oh, because yeah. you don't quite have. Yeah, and she felt I was rejecting her food. And <laughs> she, she she got so angry, she, you know, left me in the in the you know, high chair and stomped out. But this is a story that she told me all the time, you know, <laughs> as when I was an adult. So <sighs> why would she tell me a story that made her look bad, you know? Yeah. I think she just felt so upset that she had done it and she wanted, you know, forgiveness for it. But, you know... It, it took me a while to come around to a better understanding of who she was. I'm sure. I'm sure. So, did your parents live in Boston as well? No, no. They're New Yorkers. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in New York, and I moved to Boston with my husband when uh, he did his... He's a psychiatrist, and he did his residency training here, and I thought it was just the right distance from home. <laughs> So I'd, <laughs> we could go for weekends, but nobody expected us to spend our vacations there. So, um, <laughs> it, yeah. Oh, Elizabeth. My husband, too, had a very colorful family who weren't always so easy to get away and to get along with. To so get along Boston with. was a, a nice place to stay. But the book takes place on Christmas vacations when my, yes. the, when my parents were in their 80s. They... Uh-huh started spending the winters in Mexico, right? and we would go down and visit them, my husband and my two kids, and we would, uh, so the book follows 10 years of Christmas vacations, and Christmas. how my parents changed over, over the 10 years, so it's the last 10 years of their life, so you really see the, um, yeah, the change, and they, they just insisted on living life to the fullest. They were just intrepid, and they threw themselves into life in Mexico. But, you know, they were losing judgment, so their disasters ensued. Yes. <laughs> many, many disasters. Just let me say, Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation don't have anything on this story right here. <laughs> and this is real. <laughs> this is not made up. Okay, let's talk about the title, Don't Say a Word. The title is also the first line of the book. Mm-hmm. My, my mother is, is uh, carving the Thanksgiving turkey, and she's about to tell me something really stupid that she's intent on doing, <laughs> and she knows I'm not going to approve. Oh. And so she prefaces it with the line, don't say a word. She doesn't want to hear what I have to say about it. <laughs> I'm going to use that, that in the future conversations, by the way. I'll just start out that way. <laughs> but that carries all the way through the book uh-huh. because I'm an only child. My parents are in Mexico. They're getting themselves into one, you know, fiasco after another, and they don't want to hear what I have to say about it. Uh-huh. So I think this is not that uncommon an experience as parents get older and they really need help but they don't want the help and you're sort of hamstrung watching and trying to protect them from themselves mm-hmm. and in my case failing miserably <laughs> so <laughs> okay so this takes us to their early to mid 80s is sort of where we start um i think in the end is your dad 91 or 92 
That's right. Okay. So they yeah. they winter in Mexico, and and you go visit them over the holiday break. Right. Every year. Every year right. for ten years, and right. tell us about the progression. How do? I well, bet the, you the you first... notice changes because you you've been absent for about twelve months. No, no, no. I would see them in New York. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. I, I got to keep see it in them my in head. New York. It's not that I. They're I home at the summer. Okay. Yeah, I, I saw them all the time. We would go to New York for the weekends. Okay. We thought it was easier to show. Well, first of all, the crazy stuff all happened in Mexico. <laughs> I, I said at the beginning of the book that oh. I blame Mexico. Yeah. Because if they'd stayed home in their regular life with uh-huh. their friends and their golf club and whatever, uh-huh. I think nothing untoward would have happened. <laughs> it was because they wanted this adventure that they, you know, bit off more than they could chew. And, um, and they right. were undaunted. I mean, no matter what terrible things happened, they were unfazed. So, so tell us about this yeah. adventure. Tell us about some of the terrible things that happened before mom passed away. Well, I'm... I'm an architect, and they got involved with a couple who were builders, amateur builders. They were introduced to them by by a cousin of mine, and they were, um, I don't know how to put it nicely. (laughs) I mean, they really were uh, not to be trusted. Okay. Um, But my parents just sort of adopted them. My mother just completely... Uh, became inseparable, and so we never had a dinner without them, or went on a, to the, a beach resort or anything without them. They they were just constantly there, and in the end, they bought a piece of land where they were going to build two houses, one for each of them with a shared swimming pool. I mean, they really, you know, got into bed with this couple, and uh, I, each year I became more and more suspicious and fearful about what was going on, but there wasn't anything I could say. And then, in the end, they it was their turn to build the house, and I designed the house. And when we arrived, we discovered, I, I, I don't know if my mother cared, but I discovered they had thrown out my plans, and they had built an entirely different house. And the house was essentially a death trap. I mean, it, the furniture was so oversized that if they got into a chair, they couldn't get out of it. If you sat at the kitchen table, you couldn't get down from these high stools. You couldn't open the refrigerator because the table was too big. I mean, it had a bathtub that was a sunken bathtub. My mother had to get down on the floor and step into it from, from you know, outside. And But she's laughing while she's telling me, I have to be really spry getting out not to get wet. I mean, nothing about the house made them angry. Oh, you know, my. They, they just sort of took everything in stride. Uh-huh. And my parents had always been just terribly demanding and critical of everybody. And I'm, you know, here's this house, which is, just, uh, I mean, it really was just extraordinarily inconvenient and dangerous for an older person. No handrails on anything, you know, slick tile on the floor where you would step with wet feet. I mean, it, it just, 
I, I can't be, there wasn't a single thing about it that was reasonable. <laughs> all of the rooms, they got rid of the interior corridor. I shouldn't be laughing. The, this is so funny, though. I don't know. All of the rooms opened onto a terrace, so you had to step out of each room and then walk down the terrace and go into another room. Oh so God. each one of these rooms had each one of these rooms had its own exterior lock. You needed a key for each door, and they were all different. And my parents were at an age when they could never find their key. So here's a house where you, my, my father would be in the bedroom, my mother would be in the kitchen, they couldn't get to one another. And I, I bought them at Intercom, but they didn't think they could understand the Intercom. I mean, Easy anyways, to get locked out. <laughs> It, they, they got locked out all the time. Finally, they just left all the doors open. I mean, there wasn't any, there wasn't any way to get around. It was just oh my really God. crazy. It was crazy. Anyway, that's my mother's story. And um, oh, oh, I didn't mention that the things that were wrong with the house, like this business of the no corridor, they blame me for this. <laughs> So they, they would, so they would say things like, well, why did you get rid of that corridor? You know, anyway. <laughs> so, you poor thing. Was, <laughs> they were having the time of their lives. So. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, in the end, I, you know, I was glad that they had, had such a wonderful ending. Yeah. I mean, they re- really, and nothing, actually fatal happened. Right. I mean, terrible things happened, but none of them were fatal. So. Right. Hey, you so, got, you got um, a book you out know. of it. This is going to be a bestseller, I think so. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's anyway, get to this. Went after my mother died, Yes. Uh, almost immediately after she died, uh, my father asked me to help him find a housekeeper, which, of course, he needed. I mean, he... He didn't even know how to boil water. I mean, he'd, he'd always had, you know, help in the mm-hmm. house. And, and then he had my mother in, in Mexico, and they ate every dinner out. So he needed a housekeeper for sure, but he wanted a housekeeper who would sleep with him. <laughs> and, um, and he told you this and, up front. <laughs> he, he, well, he, he, yeah, he intimated it, you know, with rolling <laughs> eyes and everything. And um, and I said, Dad, you know, you can date. I mean, this, and, and there were all, all of his friends wanted to fix him up. I mean, I said, I will get you a housekeeper, and, and then you just date. And you get a and girlfriend. He, he said he, he, he just wanted one person for everything. <laughs> and um, there was no way to argue. I mean, the conversations were so funny. He, I would say to him, well, at the very least, this is illegal. I mean, you, <laughs> this is illegal, Dad. And, and he said, oh, he said, um, lots of cu- countries have, lots of cultures have systems like this. What about geishas? Yeah. <laughs> geishas, really? In Mexico, we're going to get you a geisha? I mean, it was just, it was crazy. So I, it was a struggle. I would put the ads in and i would you know um you you would be trying to interview right you're interviewing Uh, dad would interrupt you and say hold on none of that matters this is about lifestyle yeah lifestyle right that was his code have a drink with him that's one of the (laughs) the quiz would be one of his questions do you mind if we have cocktails that you know do you you know (laughs) it was just 
<laughs> yeah, he wasn't interested. Anyway, I would hire or I'd push him to hire um, someone who was reasonable, reasonable. And then as soon as I was gone, he would fire the person. And he came up with one really oddball person after another. I mean, the the first one claimed to be an Argentine gerontologist, <laughs> but she had previously been working as a dog sitter. So I would say to my father, why would a doctor be working as a dog sitter? But, you know, you, you couldn't get through. This, these conversations were just one-way conversations. And then she actually, she, she just went, she was crazy. My husband's a psychiatrist, so I'm not saying this, you know, speciously. She actually was crazy. And um, finally, um, they couldn't get along. I mean, they were just fighting, and I had to go down there and sort of quiet down the fighting. And I mean, the, the pathetic thing is that I couldn't intercede. I couldn't, you know, get rid of these women. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just felt he's not asking this of me. It's not my place. I have no right to fire her. So I just had to watch it and try to get along with these women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were so weird. One was more weird than the other. You sort of list them um, in your email that you sent me. You said that um, one was, as you have explained, one was a drug addict with cats um, who was removed by 911. um, Right. 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 A sour widow. That he he nursed through a facelift. He talked her into coming with him to Mexico because they had inexpensive facelifts there. And he... Um, he paid for her facelift, and then he nursed her through the facelift. But when we got home, her sons were waiting at the at the um, airport to scurry her away, and they threatened to sue my father for sex harassment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one ended well. Yeah, it was <laughs> that that was a good ending. Now, when did you realize Dad had dementia? I didn't realize this till after he had died. Mm-hmm. It's so extraordinary because it's so obvious, isn't it? It's so obvious. Mm-hmm. And yet there were t- two reasons that I just could not, I didn't even think of it. One is that in other ways he really seemed himself. I mean, he read the newspaper, he played golf, he met his friends. I mean, you know that people, when they get old, are going to change. We're all going to change. And you don't know what part is just normal aging and what and what part is is not you know is not mm-hmm. normal and i just took this as normal the reason being that that we have the stereotype of the dirty old man mm-hmm. you know that we have this false idea that when people get old they become preoccupied with sex and the reason we have this idea is because it is a very common phenomenon But it's common because frontal lobe deterioration is common, just the way inner ear, you know, neurons atrophying produces uh, hearing loss, Mm -hmm. which we take as a normal part of aging. Well, frontal lobe deterioration is, is also common phenomenon, but the 
the effect of it is that people become disinhibited. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're having more thoughts about sex. Everybody has thoughts about sex all the time. Sure. That's what keeps the human race going. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't filter it. They don't have the self-awareness to recognize that it's inappropriate. Right. So you're you're not seeing, you know, I I mean it's so painful if you don't understand this and it's your parent because you think you're seeing some part of your parent that you didn't know, mm-hmm. you know that some shameful part, some some humiliating part. Yeah. And I adored my father. I really admired him and loved him and so it was just horrible. Um, you know, seeing this, and when I learned after he had died, when I really looked into it uh, and realized right away, as soon as I saw, you know, the description mm-hmm. of that uh, of loss of judgment, as soon as I read this, I realized that's what it was, and it was such a relief. Yeah, it was such a relief to realize that this was just a physical problem. This wasn't a psychological problem. It wasn't a moral problem. It had no implications about character. Mm-hmm. It was a completely natural, but, you know, unfortunate breakdown of some neurons in his frontal lobe of his brain. Yeah, it was a disease. Yeah, right. It, it, it was, was an illness. An illness, yes. Yeah, if only, you know, this were common knowledge. But the trouble is, that there's a taboo about thinking of your parents and sex. Mm-hmm. It's just something, it's taboo. And it's really strange taboo if you think about it, because we wouldn't be here <laughs> if our parents didn't have sex lives. Yeah. But nevertheless, <laughs> as soon as something like this happens, you just turn away from it. You change the subject. You think about something else. You don't delve into it. Yes. And and the conversations yeah. that you describe in the book, you know, they're funny, but then there is this painful component because as a daughter, you're trying to assign meaning, make sense out of what is happening. Yeah. And you, you, you're you missing this big, huge piece of the puzzle. If you had yeah. it, it would have been a whole different experience. Yeah. Well, you know, since my husband is a psychiatrist, we have many, many friends who are psychiatrists. So when it was happening... I did ask them, what did they think this was? Mm-hmm. You know, we were, my father was taking Prozac because he, he had become really irritable, mm-hmm. incredibly irritable, but actually it was a form of depression, that kind of irritability, which is also a common thing later in life, and it's just a loss of serotonin, that's all it is. Anyway, he was, he was taking Prozac, which, you know, totally helped him. So I thought maybe this is a side effect of you know, of uh, Prozac, mm-hmm. although actually Prozac is supposed to suppress sexual sexuality. So uh, nobody, uh, no, none of the psychiatrists I spoke to connected this with dementia. Mm-hmm. It, this is so well known in the dementia world, but it is not known outside of it. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. I Googled it, and nothing came up on Google. I put in dirty old man, and I got you know shampoo and and um people talking about what if you're you know if your father doesn't want to take showers and you know yeah. and, or dirty jokes uh-huh. you know 
Not not but what I, you were I, going for, yeah. Not what I was not what I was going for, yeah. Yeah, so I I think it's just um sad that this isn't common knowledge, isn't commonly understood. All of my practically all of my friends, by the way, had stories like this about their own parents. Mhm. You know, a, a, a mother who used to strip at the dinner table periodically. Right. Another mother whose whose language became very coarse, mm-hmm. or a, a father-in-law who made a pass at his daughter-in-law. Things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody was familiar with this kind of behavior, and they didn't associate it with dementia. They thought it was a normal part of aging. Right. Yeah, so the real reason that we wanted to have this discussion <clears throat> wasn't just to laugh with you. Hopefully you were laughing with us. But there's an important message here um, that all of these things that Elizabeth has described are indicative of dementia. And while there's no cure, there is some treatment. I mean, you know, it doesn't work the same for everybody. But more importantly, we need, if we're in the know, if we know what's happening, if we understand what's happening um, to our parents, if they experience this, it puts us in a better place to deal with what's happening. Um, Lisa, that is, that is exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the important message that, that we want to get out there. And you've written this book which demonstrates the point um, so beautifully. Not that you ever held anything against your dad, but all is forgiven now, right? Well, he just returned to being the person I knew him to be. Mm-hmm. He just, all of his, everything about him that I knew was true. There was no dark unknown. Yeah. So, yes, yes it's just transformative when you understand what it is, it just, you don't get dis- distressed, you can manage it better. Um, we had a, a wonderful housekeeper, finally I found the perfect housekeeper, a Mexican woman, instead of trying to get an American to go down to Mexico in the winter, I found a wonderful Mexican woman who came up to uh live in in new york during the rest of the year Mm -hmm. and we're still we're very good friends she had a black belt in karate so (laughs) i knew that she was going to have no trouble handling my father um but but actually it was a problem because i was so uncomfortable telling her what to expect that i i made it too ambiguous i said he doesn't respect boundaries. He's going to want you to be more like a wife. And she didn't know what I was talking about. Her English at that point wasn't perfect. It's much better now. And she missed the whole thing. Yeah. So she, you know, she took the job, she moved in, and then she was horrified when he, you know, started to harass her. And she didn't want to tell me. She thought I would be upset. Mm-hmm. So it was a very long time until we finally talked it out and then that changed everything because I could help her she didn't have to hide and and even though we didn't know what it was at least it was out in the open and um you know we could manage it together so yeah this is stuff you have to talk about it 
Yes, and can I just tell you, being in healthcare, I have seen this a hundred and thousand times over again. Um, mm. It's very common. It's very common, and it is, as you say. If you're not in the dementia world, or you're not in healthcare. I think you just characterize the behavior as dirty old man syndrome, but right. that's not it. Um, no, not that's at all. not it. So important right. message for our listeners to hear. Again. Elizabeth's book is called Don't Say a Word, A Daughter's Two Cents. And I I do love the fact that you said you're a woman who always wants to share her two cents. Um, (laughs) um, I often put in my emails in the subject line, Lisa's two cents. So I thought that was, yeah. (laughs) I said, oh, we've got an automatic connection here. I am so glad you contacted us. This is an important message it's a beautiful story. As I said, I have fallen in love with you and your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I get through the whole book, I might call you back and say, hey, let's, call, let's do another one and talk about this over here, because I like that. <laughs> Would that be okay? Okay. Yes, absolutely. I love talking to you. This has been wonderful. And thank you for listening to the podcast, Elizabeth. We greatly appreciate it. Stay well in Boston. Listeners, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. I'm sure you did. Till next time, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be forever at your back.